Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. Obviously, me being me, I focused most of my time thinking about me. And <laughs> no. Classic baby. <laughs> Classic baby. No. <laughs> no, nobody puts baby in the corner. <laughs> in this episode, we're going to be doing something slightly different in celebration of National Siblings Day on the 10th of April. No, nope, me neither. You just heard me with my two sisters, CJ and Bex, and they'll be popping up later on. And we've given other people the chance to shout out to their brothers and sisters too. One of the things I love most about my sister is she is like the one person in the world who I never have to explain what I would call context to. Uh, when I was 14, however, my baby brother arrived on the scene. At last, I had someone to back me up. And there's going to be some small teasers from those people coming up in the next season of Relatively, starting with Chris Packham. Had it, had it, had it been an otter or a bat or a baby T-Rex, I'd have been ecstatic and would never have forgotten it. But, a, but a, a, a human infant swaddled in my mother's arms just couldn't live up to the expectation at that point, I'm afraid. And then the formidable netballing Corbin sisters, Sasha and Kadeen. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm, it's a question that we've never, ever been asked. So it's, it's actually something that yeah. is definitely something in my mind now that I can think about. <laughs> also in this episode, small and perfectly formed contributions from Susie Dent off of Countdown, talking about the language of families and made up words. I, I do remember that both she and I had fundamental mishearings of concrete. And for my sister, it was always concrete. And from Jane Garvey off of Fortunately Podcast and Radio 4. My sister was not just blonde as a little girl. She was she was white blonde. And, um, you know, there's no getting away from this. She was she was very, very cute and pretty. And I had brown hair and freckles. What do I say here? Oh, yeah. Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. I'm the middle of three girls. My older sister Bex is two years older than me and my little sister CJ is six years younger. I've written a bit more about our relationship and what it was like growing up in the May edition of Good Housekeeping magazine, which weirdly, and I'll never understand this, is in the shops now. Last Friday night, we got together online with a glass of wine and I asked them some classic, relatively questions. We started with nicknames. I well, well don't do you remember? I was always called Becca by Mum and Grandma, oh, and oh, you and Kat and CJ, you couldn't say it. So when you I said didn't. it, it was like one of your first words that came out as bugger. <laughs> and from then on, from then on, I was bugger. And oh, we yeah. used to, I used to play this game where we'd go like into the supermarket, and I would go it's and hide true. down the aisle around the corner. <laughs> And you would come toddling down the aisle going, bugger, bugger, bugger. And my mum would be, mum would be going, bugger, bugger, 
stop it. <laughs> I think I, I made a sign for your bedroom door that said sexy and then tiny Bexy. <laughs> Just literally, this is where sexy live. <laughs> the home of sexy. Yeah. Knock three times for sexy. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Still works like that. Still got a sign. <laughs> So then, <laughs> but I just remember when CJ was born because I was nine and she was this little round thing and you were bald, bald as a tooth. Just big round thing now. <laughs> and you were so adorable. You were so adorable. And what so um, I think it was me that coined Widge, Widgey. Squidgelet. Squidgelet. Widge to this day, Bex calls me Widge on most birthday cards, Christmas cards, <laughs> legal documents. <laughs> I only do it so that someone in my life still calls me sexy. You know, there is an ulterior <laughs> She's actually still got the sign on her bedroom. It comes out on a Saturday night. <laughs> I ask nearly everybody who comes on relatively about nicknames. And one of the best answers came from drag queen Davina DeCampo in episode two. Oh, I was absolutely naughty. Yeah, absolutely. I They called me Rent-A-Wrecker because I used to destroy everything. And I don't know why. I don't know why I used to do that. I, I once sprayed my feet in a pair of jelly sandals with uh, gold, gold spray. I mean, I was a, a little bit obsessed with gold shoes. So, uh, yeah, I think it was, yeah, gold jelly sandals. I love that for me. And my feet are gold as well. Even better. Brilliant. I destroyed everything. <laughs> In another episode, Johnny Flynn and his sister Lily were given the nicknames Stumblebum and Squirtface. This listener was also given a nickname, as was her sister, by their dad. This is a little message for my sister Ruth and me, Potter, from her big sister Anna, now Potter. These were the nicknames that our lovely daddy gave us because me as the elder sister was always the one saying, let's do it now. I'm first, me. And little sister was always saying, and me, and me. Um, We lost our precious daddy nearly four years. It will be four years on the 8th of April. And it will also be nearly four years Uh, this summer that I have even seen my sister in person so uh, that's tough miss you loads and see you real soon love you Ruth bye I'm really excited to say that one of my childhood heroes I was a very long-standing member of the young ornithologist club Chris Packham and his sister Jenny Packham the fashion designer are coming up on the podcast in a few weeks time I asked him about nicknames and got quite the brush off. Not one for such fripperies, really. <laughs> you know, um, I don't. I think I've always called her Jen, Jenny. Never called her Jennifer, I don't think, ever in my entire life. We had code names when we were doing our, oh, you yeah. know, when I was a sec- <laughs> secret co- agent. What you know, were they? And I, Oh, well, they would be complex numerals because I'd have to test her, you know. So they'd they they, they they'd be 15 to, 15 to 20, 25 complex numerals and she'd have to learn them all. Otherwise, you know, she would fail the test and as a consequence, she'd have to go back into the lab for retraining. Chris is older than Jenny by a few years, but as you'll hear when the episode comes out, she was often the one helping him on his way. Because he was three or so when she arrived, I asked him if he could remember it. I can remember, I don't remember my mother being pregnant, 
but I do remember my sister being born. And I remember uh, my father taking me upstairs to see my mother in bed with my sister for the first time. It was curtains drawn, hushed tones, my mother looking uh, worse for wear, and some sort of poorly formed pink blob (laughs) being cradled in her arms. Um, Obviously wasn't terribly enamoured with the idea of having a sister at that point. I, I don't remember too much angst, to be honest with you. In fact, most of my stronger memories don't develop until I was just before I was five and started school. So it was on the brink of being of my ability to remember what was going on. But I do have quite a distinct memory of being led up the stairs to see something ostensibly special <laughs> and being actually quite unimpressed. Had it, had it, had it been an otter <laughs> or a bat or a baby T-Rex, I'd have been ecstatic and would never have forgotten it. But a, but a, a, a human infant swaddled in my mother's arms just couldn't live up to the expectation at that point I'm afraid. If you visited the Relatively Podcast website at relativelypodcast.com to see some of the photos in the family album for example you may have seen on the homepage that we promise a sprinkling of scientific umami to try and understand some of the dynamics that exist between siblings. We haven't done too much of that so far but Alison Pike, who's a professor of child and family psychology in the School of Psychology at the University of Sussex and was also on The Secret Life of Siblings as one of the experts on Channel 4, has agreed to be part of the podcast to pop up every now and again. Here she is. Parenting research, I think, probably dwarfs sibling research by something like 500 to 1. What? Yeah, it's unbelievable. So there's something about... uh, that we still think parents are so overwhelmingly um, important. And, I mean, it makes sense in a, in a way when, especially for very young children in that really dependent stage of life, parents are overwhelmingly important. But those of us who've had more than one child, you also, quick, you also quickly realize with the second born, they are so interested in their older brother or sister. That's who they're following with their eyes, you know, at least as much, if not more than than parents. What is it about siblings that has meant it's made, you know, you've made it your life's academic work? I got interested in nature-nurture questions and the part of it that really sparked my interest was that brothers and sisters end up turning out so differently to one another. So you might have a bit of similarity with brothers and sisters. It turns out that that is due to um, your common genetic heritage. And growing up in the same family does not lead to sibling similarity. So I just found that quite mind-blowing. And that's what got me started in a kind of fascination with siblings. So I'm interested in siblings from from the kind of the behavioral genetic angle, but also from the family dynamics angle, because siblings can also, you know, I've learned just how much siblings can influence one another, how much time brothers and sisters spend together, and that they're this, they're a huge context for children's development and 
everybody's interested in talking about their brothers and sisters, and, you know, my, myself included. Um, and I'm just a nosy person, so I'm, I'm just endlessly fascinated by, by, by everyone's stories, I think. In this sort of peculiar pick and mix podcast episode, it is full confession time. The idea for relatively or at least to talk about siblings like this came out of a discussion that I had with Jane Garvey. And here she is telling me why she is so fascinated by the ideas of brothers and sisters. She started by describing her own role in her family, where she's the oldest of two girls. Older, child, nervy, nerdy, bright in speech marks. <laughs> I was um, not the cute one. Uh, yeah, I think, that, <laughs> I think that sums it up. Well, that explains everything. <laughs> it goes quite a long way to explain it. And did you, were you aware of that being what someone might say about Jane when she was, I don't know, 12 or something? Oh, she's quite into her books or, you know, oh, she's quite geeky. Or was that something you only realised looking back now? Oh, I think I, I think I absolutely knew and probably embraced it. Um, I think I, I was quite I was quite assured in my relatively brainy status. Um, and to be fair, my family encouraged that because I couldn't be. My sister was not just blonde as a little girl; she was she was white blonde. And um, you know, there's no getting away from this. She was she was very very cute and pretty. And I had brown hair and freckles. And um, and I and I wasn't particularly cute or pretty, um, and you just it's no it does stay with you, doesn't it? That sort of thing. Um, but I don't think I was I, I wasn't unhappy because I always had my own interests and I was perfectly happy uh, exploring those. I was going to say it does stay with you, and that can be a good thing or a bad thing. And you seem to sort of say that there was a freedom in that label that you were you knew what it was, you were quite comfortable in it, and it hasn't particularly held you back or has it I don't think it no I don't think it's held me back I would say and I think my sister would say this too that when you have two children and I have two children and actually my sister has two children um there is a tendency to label one uh you might say one perhaps the academic one or the more academic one and the other one might get another sort of label now it's not always the eldest child that is the academic one but it often it's often that the family's hopes are rested on the um, elder of two children. It would seem. I mean, I don't know. I find the I find the whole birth order thing a really underexplored area of the human experience because I think I think you really are hugely impacted by whether or not you have siblings at all. I think that's really important, and then by your birth order. I don't think there's any shred of doubt that it has a huge impact on the way you are. Absolutely. And I was only talking to um, Professor Ali Pike, who's part of this podcast earlier on, who said, actually, the influence of your siblings, particularly your older siblings, on you as a younger sibling is so much greater than your parental influence after a certain age. And that the older sibling can just set the tone for the whole family and the whole sibling experience following on. And it's also, logically speaking unless there's a tragedy of some sort, it is the longest relationship of your life. And, yeah. and I think we don't, we don't talk about it often enough um, because your parents, um, if everything happens in, if you like, the right order, they are going to go. And then you are left with your sibling or siblings 
with all your shared experiences and shared knowledge. And it's actually a burden and a joy in lots of ways. And I, I've always wondered how only children cope. I think it must be very difficult for them. They, they don't either have the, the bonus ball of all the shared experience, obviously assuming that shared experience was good. Um, but then they also don't have the, um, I don't know, they, they, don't, they don't get their... They don't get their ego as dented as those of us with siblings do, I, I assume. I don't know. Thank you to Jane. I will be putting out the whole interview with her in a few weeks' time. And I am also interested in doing episodes later on in the season with only children and maybe siblings who've become estranged from one another. It's really interesting to have as many different sorts of siblings as possible. Speaking of families which are made up differently, this listener got in touch to describe her family. I grew up in a family of one of six children with two of my younger siblings adopted. My mum instilled in me a love of a family, however that looked. I've always known I've wanted a big family, but then life for me went in a different direction than I imagined. Over the past 14 years, I've lived overseas as a paediatrician, single, set up and run a charity alongside my best friend. However, through my 40s, I then unexpectedly found myself to become a mum of seven kids. One adopted, four almost adopted and two being fostered. They all call me mummy, no prefix needed. So many children around the world need the love of a family, whatever that looks like. And for me, it meant having my eyes open to the needs around me and then simply stopping for the one in front of me intentionally creating a loving family home that is safe for each one of my children to thrive. Thanks, Mum, for instilling family into me. Even though it does look completely different to how I imagined it, I simply could not love my beautiful children more. I was really interested, though, in what Jane Garvey said about siblings being keepers of memories and really being sometimes the only people who really understand where you've come from. It does. It is the, probably one of the. I think there are some unifying things about our upbringing, and one of them would be that if you went to a travel lodge or something and had a mini box of of cocoa pops, that's living. That's like illicit thrills. Yeah. Because yeah. Of how um, so much, so much so that recently, when I went on a eight week training course and had to live in a jury's inn during lockdown, so they stopped doing any exciting cooked breakfast down in the in the restaurant, and instead you got a bag of um, your breakfast hanging on your door in the morning, and part of that was a small box of crunchy nut cornflakes, <laughs> oh, and every every morning I was like, oh my god, I'm not going to waste these. <laughs> <laughs> Took them home. I got sixteen boxes <laughs> of crunchy, tiny crunchy nut cornflake packets. I look at them and I'm like, it's not Christmas yet. <laughs> and here is a listener, someone from New York, talking about her sister in exactly the same way. One of the things I love most about my sister is she is like the one person in the world who I never have to explain what I would call context to because we have the same exact frames of reference. We bought all our mental furniture at the same store, so to speak. So no matter what I have to say to her, she instantly gets it. With her, I can just like text her any random idea I have in my head. Like, I've been thinking about how Gen Xers have always dressed like we think the world might end before the end of the day. And she instantly texts back, definitely gotta be ready in case we have to red dawn it. And I'm just like, yes, exactly. 
with anyone else, I'd have to kind of get them up to speed or fill in all the backstory. But with her, right out of the gate, she understands me. It's not exactly scientific, but the two sets of twins I've interviewed relatively so far do seem to really understand each other. First of all, there was Tom and Rob Aitkins, the chefs, who probably turned their mother's hair grey with the naughtiness that they got up with in the Norfolk village where they were raised. And then coming up in the second season of Relatively, the Labour MPs and twins, Angela and Maria Eagle. And she's she's both boots in if she sees... Uh, she's completely fearless if she sees injustice in a way that I might be slightly more calculating, but she's more instinctual like that with stuff that she regards as wrong. Um, and it's what I've always admired about her. How do you think she would describe you? I've no idea. Um, she'd still be irritated about my effortless superiority because of my age, <laughs> my 15 minutes probably. Yes, she gave it a lot of importance when we were very young, and I didn't have I didn't have an argument that would counteract it in 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 logic or reality because I am in fact fifteen minutes younger than her, according to my mother. So that was a game set and match, really. <laughs> no, I mean I think that we're we're both very proud of each other. Mm. Uh, we 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 have done this odd thing in that we've we've got similar interests and we've pursued. Um, similar careers and certainly been involved in politics and chess and things like that but um, yeah I I, I think I'm very proud of her and, and I know she's proud of me. That episode is coming up in a few weeks time obviously only a 15 minute age gap between those two but between this listener who got in touch there is an 11 year age gap Jasmine is 24 and should have been starting a job with the local authority down in London, but of course didn't because of lockdown. Instead, she was at home, mainly with her 13-year-old sister. I think what's been amazing is is really seeing her response to this period. Um, and a lot of people have been talking about resilience as the sort of buzzword through COVID and never really understood what that word means but I've really seen it in her. Um, Portia's profoundly deaf. Um, it's hereditary deafness in my family. And that means that without a live teacher, we've had to find workarounds so that she can continue to follow lessons and lip read. Um, she's been able to find ways to connect them to microphones and connect them to her phone so that they the, the captionings come up automatically on her phone. Um and it's been wonderful seeing her friends respond and the teachers respond and everyone's so excited that these they're these new solutions and and she's in complete control of them and I find that amazing. And then, you know, eight o'clock, we both climb in bed and watch the Big Bang Theory together. And I can't say there's many 24-year-olds being able to do that. The age gap in our family was also quite big. There were the two older ones, me and Bex, and then there was the baby, CJ. CJ was often just called the baby Aww. because um, well, that was certainly like you two were the not girls. the girls the girls the, the girls, girls. Yeah. the girl yeah. I want to play the with the girls. the girls yeah the girls <laughs> yeah but then so if you were the girls like what the was baby. I the baby you were the baby <laughs> yeah, yeah, my mum was always like with me I always remember just like can you hold the baby can you change the baby can you bath the baby I was like it's not my baby <laughs> I don't remember I don't think I helped at all I didn't help at all no that's that, that's because I'm the oldest responsible one. 
bossy yeah. one. <laughs> it's true, still true. And that doesn't that just sail us nicely into the next question? <laughs> Did you like my segue there? Almost like a plan. <laughs> we can sing it. So yeah, do you do you think CJ that Bex has all the classic markers of an older sister? To me, definitely. Um, but I was thinking about this earlier when you like briefed us on what to have a little think about. And obviously, me being me, I focused most of my time thinking about me. And <laughs> classic, <no. baby>. classic, <laughs> classic baby. Classic child. Yeah. No, nobody puts baby in the corner. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking, like, I've, I feel 100% I've always been the youngest, but that's because I'm fortunate enough to, when things go wrong, have two influential big sisters I can go to and be like you must have done or (laughs) most of the time be like no but I always know that I've I can go for help however recently in our adult years I now feel a little bit like I'm more on a bit of a level it's taken me to to get to nearly 37 years old where I feel like I might be considered more of an equal but I do sometimes feel like my input is like genuinely appreciated (laughs) Whereas before, oh, I was always looking for, always looking for like help. But now, sometimes I feel like, <laughs> oh, maybe I do know some stuff that I could help with. But that, yeah. But I've always definitely felt like the baby, but also loved it, and also genuinely taken massive advantage mm. of it. Like yeah, yeah, I can I forget a birthday at age thirty-six <laughs> and be like, but I'm the baby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when birthdays are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is funny do you think I'm a classic middle then if there is such a thing oh, I think the middle one's really hard mm. Don't because middle ones they get wrapped for like not getting the attention of the eldest or the youngest but then they, they can come out you know some people say middle children are really even tempered <laughs> and I'm not sure that's entirely true of Catherine <laughs> But you've definitely got some of those classic symptoms, or not symptoms, that's the wrong word, isn't it? Are you sick? <laughs> Are you okay? No, I'm sandwiched between these two clowns. <laughs> Nut jobs. <laughs> Often on Relatively, I ask people what their brother or sister can do to wind them up. I remember Dan Snow's sister saying that they tease him by calling him history's Dan Snow when they think he's getting a bit too big for his boots. And this listener got in touch to say that they still... They still manage to wind each other up as adults. He is one of five. I'm JP Devlin. I grew up with three sisters, which led to a lot of fights if something like the six million dollar man clashed with the little house on the prairie on the TV, for example. And as a minority of one, I always lost out. Uh, When I was 14, however, my baby brother arrived on the scene. At last, I had someone to back me up. But it was a bit late because I'd moved on from the six million dollar man by the time he could articulate his argument. Interestingly, three of the five siblings are type one diabetics, which is very, very rare. And this means that when we get together for meals now, two have dessert and three look on with envy. So there's still a bit of sweet rivalry, I would call it. I just really love that accent. If you go to relativelypodcast.com, there's a page for the Family Dictionary where people put funny words and sayings like bounce a line for trampoline or blouted, which is the act of stubbing out a felt tip. It's also something I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. Uh, Here's Ahir Shah and his sister Diddy explaining what DNA5 means 
in the Shah family household. Didi and I uh, particularly like yelling DNA5 and high-fiving one another if we uh, agree on anything, particularly vociferously. Can you remember where that came from? Just that we... (laughs) That we are fantastic and we use it as a supportive sort of term um, when any one of us does something amazing. And I mean, it's truly egotistical. (laughs) You know, like, you know, you finish a sentence of the other person. And I think it just started with my sister being like (laughs) DNA, because that's the explanation. If you have a family word or an expression of your own, then do go to the contact page on relativelypodcast.com and fill it in and we'll add you to the dictionary too. I had a chat with Susie Dent from Countdown. I'll put out the full interview in a couple of weeks. Um, But here she is talking about family words and expressions. I never know whether to disappoint someone when they say, oh, we used to say this all the time growing up and it was a special thing for them. And then, you know, you realise that actually a lot of people have been using this and I, I used to use it. In my, and I never know whether to burst the bubble or whether actually that legitimises it for them because I'm often sent emails from Countdown viewers who will say, you know, my my grandparent or my great-grandparent used to say things like all my eyes Betty Martin or go to the foot of our stairs and it was it just us and um you know sometimes I say no it wasn't just you Uh, and actually lots of people have said this but sometimes they're really obscure and I have absolutely no idea what they meant and they clearly were just part of that family but I don't want to say no it's just you because in a way they want that legitimacy they want to know that it's kind of in some dialect dictionary recorded somewhere because you know they might then just fade away uh, which is why it's a bit like lost languages I think it's really important that we do pick them up and and relish them because you know like a piece of music they are so much more than um, the sum of their parts if that makes sense if you have sort of tight jeans and you kneel down and they're not very good jeans and they stay stuck out to the fabric You can say that your jeans have ponked or if you try and do a ponytail and it's not smooth on top, then your hair is ponky. Yeah. Oh, gosh, my my daughter needs that word. because She's always complaining about her ponytails. Um, You don't want me to look that one up, I'm sure, do you? I do want you to look it up, but if it's disappointing, I might not keep it on the podcast. (laughs) No, that's fine. I won't tell you if it's um, I I think I think not in the OED. Uh, So the other recourse I have is the wonderful English dialect dictionary. Um, which was written by Joseph Wright um, in the 19th century. And it's the most wonderful storehouse, treasure house of, um, you know, local sayings and words. So I'm, I wonder if it is going to be in here. I'll give you two, I'll give two seconds and I will. Uh, uh, no, no item found. There you go. I'm going to tell my mum that she is creative indeed. (laughs) Fantastic. I actually felt weirdly proud that ponky is a word. It's a really good word. And in fact, until quite recently, I thought it was a real word until someone set me straight. So there we are. Final word on this episode of Relatively goes to a listener called Paola who's talking about her younger brother, Massimo. He died a few years ago. He was a teacher of classics and a lover of music. And Paola describes going to his funeral. It was amazing because there were about 300 people there and about 50 of his old pupils. These were all men and women who were by then retired. And it was really moving to hear what they said about him, how having him as a teacher changed their lives. 
and they remembered him with such affection and in a way this has uh, made me a bit sorry for not maybe talking with him more when I met him and uh, finding more about him and I must tell you <laughs> of an odd <laughs> of an incident we had when I was about 14, he was 11. He desperately wanted to go to the opera and obviously he couldn't go on his own. So he dragged me to go to the Teatro Comunale in Florence and I was lucky enough to hear Maria Callas sing in Lucia de Lammermoor. And it's something I will not forget. And I owe it to him, my little brother. So here we are. Thank you very much to Paola and to everybody else who got in touch with a story about their family and siblings. Thank you too to Tanita Tikram for this song, to Nick Carter for sound design and to Charlotte Griffiths for digital production. Thank you too to my sisters, CJ and Bex. But I was trying to think of yours, Catherine, because... Katkin. Yeah, Katkin. Katkin. But the ones that I remember for you are really mean that I had for you. Do you mean defo <laughs> Pustain? Is that what you mean? <laughs> I, well, I don't remember the defo ones. It's even worse. I do. I just used to call you Pustain because you had a birthmark on the back of your. You leg. called me, oh, and I yeah, but it was that. pimped to defo Pustain when I had grommets. <laughs> uh. Coming up soon, that interview with Jane Garvey and that interview with Susie Dent, and then episodes with Sir Christopher Hayward and his brother, with Jenny Packham and Chris Packham, and with the netballing legends Sasha and Kadeen Corbin. I, I I know it when the, when, the song's on. when it's time to do it and we're we're both in character. <laughs> What's funny about that is it makes me think of you know that age with your sisters when you make up dance routines and stuff like twelve. Yes, <laughs> it makes me think of you. Exactly, yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> Thank you too for listening. We will be back full force with season two after a couple of weeks break. of love and hate Stand by the fireside Now the rain may fall Your father's calling you You still feel safe inside Only your ma's too proud Your brother's ignoring you You still feel safe inside Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all